So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible, if you have it, to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be digging into there soon. Um, but let me just say I'm Jeremiah, in case we haven't met yet. <clears throat> I get the privilege and honor to walk alongside of students and their families here at Word of Life. It's such a joy to be able to do that. And I'm also super excited to share this message with you today that will actually kick off a series in youth ministry out of the book of Romans in a couple of weeks. So uh, it was cool to get a jump start on that for your sake. But, you know, don't think too much of that. I'm just preparing for youth ministry today. So you get to hear that, but it's all in prep to change the next generation with the power of the gospel. But my prayer is that your life will be changed as a result of hearing his word today and mine as well, as it has been. You know, that song, Amazing Grace, I just I didn't plan to say this, but it wrecks me every time I hear it. Um, growing up, sleep, lay, my mom would lay, she, we had three boys, and she'd lay us down in bed and sing from the hallway the song Amazing Grace. And, and every time she got to that line about what a wretch um, she was, she would many, many times just break down in tears. And the knowledge um, that we gained simply by proximity to someone whose life had been changed by the grace of God is, was, was and is impactful. Um, so, thank you, Mom. <laughs> She's not here, but thanks, Mom. She'll be listening later. I love you. Today, I want to expose my heart a little bit to you as we begin this message. Um, my 2017 was pretty traumatic. It was pretty traumatic. Some of you have experienced the trauma that I went through in 2017. Some of you have not yet. But in 2017, I celebrated my 40th birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was excited about it before. I was excited about it. I was talking about it a lot, trying to equip myself for it. But then something weird happened after I turned 40. People started talking to me different, right? Like, I called a doctor for an appointment, and the doctor's like, um, yeah, well, we should see you. You haven't been seen in a couple years, so you know, don't hate me, nurses. It just happens. Um, and the doctor's like, the secretary at the doctor's office is like, yeah, we should see you. We'll line something up. Um, how does the summer look for you? And I could tell she's like looking over my chart, right? And then it was very clear the moment she saw my birth date because she said, oh, wait, you're 40. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yes, I am 40. Does that change things? And she said, yes, as a matter of fact, it does. We need to see you right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but she did say, that's going to change the way we approach your health, and it should change the way you approach your health, old man. She didn't say the old man part. It was just something I hear in my head. Um, but one other thing that happened when I turned 40 is my beautiful wife um, took the time, energy, and effort with many friends to throw a surprise party. And in the midst of the joy of celebrating my 40th birthday, I walked into a room full of people that were um, gracious enough to take time out of their life to um, celebrate that. And one of the things they did was they put together a big like, collage of all these pictures from 40 years of my life. And on the collage are like pictures of me on top of a mountain with my kids or teenage pictures of me uh, in a football jersey, you know, where I looked super cool with a super cool 90s haircut. And it was awesome. Those of you who remember the 90s, you know, those haircuts were amazing. And the flannel shirts and the grunge jeans, which are probably going to come back anytime now. So just wait. They might already be. <clears throat> there was also pictures on there of great moments, great moments with people, and great people that I love remembering, right? I actually took the collage and hung it in my office just as an opportunity for me to look over kind of the span of those 40 long years and see the moments that I like to remember and people that have made an impact. And it was a great gift. But what you won't see on that collage are pictures of the moments nobody knows about 
Or maybe somebody knows about, but they'll never remind me out loud because they know they're shameful moments for me. Moments where I only hear about them in the back of my head because I know what I did wrong. Moments of betrayal that I had for a friend. Moments of malfunction morally. Moments of sin that maybe people still don't know about and they stay between me and God and that's okay. But there's no pictures of them on that collage. But what there is sometimes in the back of my mind is a whisper. Is a whisper that causes me a feeling of condemnation and a feeling of shame. The sense over the years that I've lived that I've failed too much. I've locked too many doors for anybody to break through. That I've turned the lights out too dark that God couldn't possibly bring a candle that would change the situation. And I hear these whispers, these lies, and sometimes they, they paralyze me. Now, I don't know if you're in that boat too. I have been, and I still go there sometimes, but I believe, here's why I bring you here with me today is, I believe that today is the day where if you still have those whispers, maybe t- your life is kind of reined in and ruled by the whispers of shame. I believe that in hearing the gospel and in believing the gospel, you can be set free from the chains of that garbage that holds you back. Amen? Amen. Many in this room have been changed by that power and are now free from the past difficulties, the past mistakes, the stuff that wants to whisper and say, you shouldn't even be in the room right now. The old adage is, if I go to church, the walls are going to burn down, right? They're still here. And if Pastor Randy's in the building and the walls are still up, we're good. (laughs) Just kidding, Pastor Randy. I love you. I love you. So what happens, and we're going to dig in a little bit, if you're interested in being freed from shame and the pain of it, um, then you're interested in the message that I have for you today. Um, my hope and my prayer is that your life would be changed after you hear the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that there is no wall you won't break down. There is no shadow you won't light up. There is no wretchedness of our lives that you haven't seen and known, and you don't love us through it. God, we thank you that you seek the lost so that they might be found. And today I pray that as we dig into your word, you would find us, that you would redeem us, and you would restore us continually as we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's all from him and for him. So point number one of this message is really called gospel confusion. The reason I call it that is because I think a lot of times you hear the gospel, you hear the term gospel, but you kind of, we can kind of confuse what it means. And a lot of times, And if I'm honest, you come to church and you hear about Jesus, but we live according to a confused gospel, a counterfeit gospel, something that we hope will bring us goodness and joy and righteousness, but instead it just compounds the shame and the unrest. Uh, The first kind of confused gospel I think a lot of times we live according to is the gospel of self-promotion. This gospel of self-promotion says that if I, if I do good enough, if I act kind enough, if I, if I achieve a certain level of, of goodness, then, or not even goodness, but just like if I'm the best at something, if, if I'm like the number one out of 99 in my Fortnite game, I am a rock star, right? Just chasing the dub with the boys, right? Those of you, if you're like, I have no idea what that means, just talk to a teenager, right? Ask them. They're, they're getting online and they're playing to the number one spot and they're trying to get to be the top of the mountain, the top, the last one standing. And if they can, it makes them feel like they mean something. They have an achievement that has now made them more valuable, right? It's easy to talk in the days and thems with a video game sometimes for adults, but let's take it home. What happens at work when you get passed over for a promotion? What happens inside of you when you fail publicly 
in a role that you fill? There's a good reflection question for this gospel of self-promotion or self-indulgence. If I'm at work and I'm putting everything I have into my success as a machinist, as my success as a welder, as my success as a CEO, as my success as a whatever, and I fail publicly, how do I respond? Does it unravel me from the inside? If so, you might be trusting in the gospel of self-promotion for your own righteousness. There's lots of different ways we can live according to this gospel. Sometimes it looks like the promotion or the, the approval of others looking at our family because our family's so good, so great, so admirable, right? Like our kids are obedient. We walk into church in a single file line. They're all dressed in the exact same clothes. We sit in a row. We don't, they don't talk to each other. They face forward. They pull up the app we like to function off of called Uversion, and they all watch obediently on their phones. And look at our family. It's so awesome, right? I'm trying to go to the nth because I don't think there's any families in the world like that. But what we do is we kind of put our desires for goodness and other people will look at our family and say, yeah, see, I got them all shined up and they're good to go. And we say, I'm good. I'm good. It's self-promotion. It's achievement. And what it'll do eventually is it'll crush you. It'll crush you because you can't do it. You can't keep up that level of perfection. You can't keep up the goodness. You can't one-up yourself every time. And here's the catch. It's, it's a dual killer because sometimes you do, right? Because sometimes you do. You do really good in self-promotion. Like you might do good, do good, do good, and then you start looking at other people like, what's wrong with you? Can't you do what I'm doing? Because I did it. Like I read the book. Just do these habits. Just change your morning ritual. And if you change your morning ritual and eat different foods, then you'll have a body like me, right? Like whatever the thing is that we like to throw shame at, like we, we start doing that because we've trusted in that for our goodness. And we think, oh, this will be good for other people too. And it becomes pride. Maybe it's that, um, that grandparent gardener, I like to call it, just because it was a grandparent gardener in my life that is like looking out over the grass of the yard. And it's perfectly green and dandelion free. And there is no clover to be seen. And it's like every grass, every, every inch of grass is trimmed perfectly with scissors, right? You take your lawnmower out, but the lawnmower doesn't work quite right, so you get the kitchen shears out or the special shears you bought for the yard, and you start clipping it perfectly, right? And then you get the trimmer out, but the trimmer, you know, it doesn't work well with the line on it. You got to have the special blades, right, that, that cut evenly exactly the way you want it. And, and then if the kid that's getting off the bus, actually you stop yourself at 2.15 every day because you want to go out in the street and make sure that kid that gets off that bus doesn't come anywhere near your yard. And when they do, you're like, what are you doing? Get off my yard. Don't you see this is perfect? This is perfection. Have you ever seen a yard like this before? Right? We only get three months of yard like this a year in central New York, so don't step on it. Right? Maybe for you it's not a yard, but maybe it's your stuff. Maybe when your kids grab your stuff, all of a sudden you find yourself freaking out because they're touching something that's yours and it's in the right space at the right time. And when they don't put it back where they found it, you start freaking out on them because there's this gospel of stuff and self-promotion that you've depended on. And when something gets jostled or moved out of the way, you start destroying the people around you. I chuckle at the end because I live it. And there's many times I have to say, whoa, whoa, whoa Jeremiah. <sighs> this doesn't make me any better. Only the gospel. So this confusion into... Um, 
this confusion into self-promotion and the level at which we think it raises us is one way that we confuse the goodness of God for something else. In all seriousness, I've joked around a lot about this, but the gospel will push your personal achievements to levels of all-consuming perfection or all-consuming depression. It will force you into a place of, of darkness that only the gospel, the true gospel, can bring you out of. So maybe you're here today and something I've said either in jest or in a tone that is a little bit more serious than you're comfortable with is striking a, a, a string in your heart and you're realizing, I need help. Hang on, we'll get there. The second gospel that gets confused is this gospel, and, and it's a version. You see, the problem with these confused gospels is that they're all kind of good. Right? Like, it's not a bad thing to get a promotion at work. It's not a bad thing to keep your lawn. It's not a bad thing to do well in a video game. Like, that's not bad. Parents, I promise, it is not a bad thing in and of itself to do well at a video game. Quiet. They're quiet. Like, wait, don't say that. My kids are here. But when we make them ultimate things, they're bad. They actually become evil in that moment. They're used for something that only God should be and wants to be. It's something else that's like that is self-denial. We get caught up in this gospel of self-denial and we think the less we make ourselves, the better we are, right? Like, I just need to be like Mother Teresa. And if I'm constantly doing things for others, then I'm good. And, and what we end up doing is like enabling other people to not do things for themselves or we end up hating the people that we're serving because in the end, they can't give us back what we're looking for them to give us. Right? But there's the self-denial all along that is like, if I deny myself and give to the people in my life, then it makes me a better person. You can see this in a lot of different frames. You know, diapers turn into dresses, and dresses turn into graduation gowns. Graduation gowns turn into a college diploma, and moms and dads are left wondering, wait, what's my life really all about? I thought I was good because I was a good dad or I was a good mom. And I know it's a sensitive time of year. If graduation comes nearer, there's a lot of heart examination related to high school graduation for moms and dads. And as my son gets a little bit older, I realize, oh man, like, what happens when he's walking that stage inside of me? See, self-denial and self-sacrifice can be just as dangerous as self-promotion because if we trust in it for our goodness, it will crush others. The people around us that we begin to serve for the sake of our own righteousness will never be able to keep up with the pace of what we need from them. So if you find yourself kind of wondering, could this be me? Could this, some, some of what he's saying, like it's, it's kind of resonates, I would ask yourself the question. I would challenge you to ask yourself the question, maybe in your notes on the back of your bulletin or in the little YouVersion app. What would happen inside of you if the project or people that you're involved in no longer needed you? What would happen inside of you, in your heart, if the project or people that you currently serve no longer needed you? Would you stabilize? Would you go to God and say, God, what's my next assignment? Or would you have a downward spiral of difficulty related to that project or those people not needing you? Your perceived need in that subject, that topic, that relationship can easily become a gospel of its own, a false gospel. It's gospel confusion number two. 
This third one, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here because the Bible does. This is gospel of religion. And you may have heard this put different ways. Today I'm calling it the gospel of religion, but essentially it's when we confuse the results with the reason. It's when we confuse the, the gospel itself for the results of the gospel. Here's what it sounds like. Man, my life was way different before I started going to Word of Life. I went to Word of Life, and man, my life is different now. I go to church every week, and, you know, I pray, and Pastor Randy's, you know, he's a super good-looking guy, and he's up on that stage, not quite as strong or good-looking as the youth pastor, but, you know, <laughs> when he's up there talking, I get encouraged, and my life has changed as a result. And I'm so glad that I found a good church. What that person or that heart is saying is, I really am trusting in the gospel of the religious system. And I want to be careful here because I know this, is, this goes right back to many things are good, but we can't make good things ultimate. Okay? You following me? If you're following me, just say yes. yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Spiritual disciplines are good. Reading your Bible is good, right? Signing up to be coached through learning to follow Jesus is good. Joining a life group is good. These are good things that help us grow in our faith, that inform us about who God is, and that connect us with other people, and they encourage us. All things that God has said to do. But he never said that if you believe in the Lord, Word of Life, Assembly of God you will be saved. The Bible says that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And sometimes we confuse Jesus with what Jesus has done in the lives of people. Okay? So the third confusion this morning that I want to articulate, and I'm, and I'm spending some time talking about the confusions, and the rest, I promise the rest of the message is going to kind of um, move a little bit faster, but I want to kind of feather out these possible counterfeit versions of what the gospel really is. So when you leave here today, you can start thinking, have I, have I trusted in, a, in something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have I begun trusting in my work, my success? Have I been trusting in my service to others? Have I begun trusting in the systems and programs of the church to change me rather than the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you been coming to church for a long time and been frustrated that your life hasn't changed? Don't raise your hand. Right? This is, this is where kind of the rubber hits the road. People will go to church for years and they'll be like, you know, I don't get it. Like these people, their lives are changing. This is happening. This is happening. You know, I go to all the right things and I just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm smarter about the Bible but there's, like, it just seems like something's missing. Yeah. Belief in Jesus. We'll get there. That's the, the third kind of confusion around this. Uh, the scriptures actually talk about this. I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, let me just take a little bit, a little bit more time on this. It, this is dangerous. Um, and I want to point this out because, not just because I'm the youth pastor here, but because I'm a dad and because I have parents, and I'm part of a family. Um, the gospel of religion can easily become a rules righteousness kind of behavior, right? Where we think if we keep the right rules, then we'll be good with God. 
And if we come and go from a religious system and we begin believing that rules will make us right, then what can happen as a result of that is we start attributing, we start, we start, um, what's the word? What's the word? We start taking action on that towards our kids, right? So what it could sound like is Johnny comes home from school, doesn't clean his room. Johnny, if anybody's kid's name are Johnny in the room, I'm just choosing a random name, all right? So I'm not exposing anybody's business. Um, Johnny comes home from school and didn't do his chores yesterday. So Johnny doesn't do his chores, and he comes home, and as a result of him not doing his chores, we restate the rule. And we say, hey, you know the rule is to do your chores when you get home, and you didn't do them yesterday, so do them. And Johnny doesn't do it. And then what we do is we respond with a restatement of the rule, but this time it's a little bit louder, right? No, I said, you got to do your chores when you get home from school. Do you understand me? And Johnny says, yes, I understand you. I just don't feel like doing it. What? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? You don't, you don't want to do it? Are you serious? The rule is, when you get home, you clean your room. And Johnny says, I know, you, you told me that three times. I know, I get it. I don't understand. I don't understand. And then somebody else comes home and he's telling, do you understand? Do you get this? Do you get, wife, do you know what is going on over here? He, he does not, he's not changing at all. He's not changing. He's not changing. I've told him four times, 18 times. I've told him a thousand times what the rules around this house are. And there's no change in him whatsoever. This, I know this never happens in anybody else's house but mine, right? <laughs> I know that's why it's so quiet in here, because you're all going, we don't understand that at all. That must be, you must have a jacked up home life, Pastor Jeremiah. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever experienced something like that, but I'll say this. The anchor, the roots of that conversation are, are deeply found in a rules-based righteousness, Right? Now, I'm not saying it's bad. Again, it's good to clean your room because if you don't clean your room, it smells horrible, right? And it's disgusting. Teenage boys, are you listening? Clean your room, all right? Wear deodorant, all right? Do it. It's good. It won't make you more righteous, but it'll sure make it smell better. And we'll all appreciate it. I love you. Teenage guys are like, now. What's the difference? The difference could be when our kids don't understand the rules, then we realize a greater, better, or more clarified rule isn't what they need, but what they really need is a changed heart. The heart is what causes words to be spoken. The heart is what causes real life change. So we that, get, we that try to get this, we're all learning in the process. If we move away from rules righteousness and we move towards the true gospel, then we can start to see ways to cut through the moments that we in the past leveraged confused gospels with our kids, and now we can use the good true one with them. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Some of you are like, can you please just tell us how to do that with our kids? Can, you, can we just drop our kids off at youth ministry and you can fix them? That won't work. That won't work. You know why? Because that's, that's the gospel of religion. That's the gospel of religion. 
Youth ministry won't fix your kids. I promise. I try with my own, right? <laughs> you, it won't. It's not, no program of the church will change your heart. It's the gospel that changes the heart. The programs of the church help you see it better. Yeah, you can clap for the gospel. Amen. So, today is Life Group Review Day, right? You get a preview day. You get a menu in your hands. Um, please hear me say this. I love the fact that we have life groups. I spend a lot of time, energy, and effort creating the environments for those to happen. And my hope is that out of today, you wouldn't go, I don't need to do no life group. I don't know why I just spoke in a Texas accent. <laughs> That's weird. I'm going to hear about that later. <laughs> Uh, I don't need a new dope stinking life group. I just need the gospel. Well, remember this. As you look over that list, consider the fact that life groups help pull the curtains back from what the gospel is and help us to apply the, the meaning and the truth and the depth of that gospel to our lives while we're in relationship with others. So we've spent a bit of time, I've spent a bit of time talking about these confused gospels. And here's where we jump into the text of Romans. And I took a little bit more time than typical for me to talk through the possible confusions because I really think it's important that we understand we're all screwed up. Like, we're all sinners. Romans says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all confused our righteousness at some point. We've all tried to be good in some system that was broken at some point. But the good news is that God left heaven, wrapped himself in humanity and made a way for us to be saved. No matter which gospel we've been confused with, he, there is one true way. And we see the clarity of that gospel in Romans. It's my, it's my joy to be able to read to you Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll jump down to 14 to 17. Paul wrote this. This is his introduction. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him, oh, I'm sorry, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jumping down to verse 14, it says, Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And just in case you're wondering, it's not just Jews and Greeks that get the gospel. He meant anybody other than Jews that he declared as barbarians or Greeks was basically everybody. You and me in 2018, hallelujah. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If you have a pen and a Bible, or if you have a phone with a Bible on it, I would encourage you to highlight those words, the righteous shall live by faith. And if there's anything you could take away from today's talk, it would be, for me to you, the righteous shall live by faith. Our faith in Christ is what causes us to receive His goodness. 
It's by grace through faith we are saved. Not by grace through our promotions, not by grace through our goodness, but by grace through our faith. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. With all the things that Paul could be ashamed of, he is glad to declare that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, in case you don't know, was a murderer. He was a mob boss-like leader in the Jewish church. He was the one that put his signature at the bottom of pages that executions were recorded as a result of. Paul had a lot, make no mistake, Paul had a lot that he could be ashamed of. And my hope is that as you read this, you see the undoing of shame. Because he's able to say strongly, for I am unashamed of the gospel. It became his life's banner to declare the gospel because he realized that this gospel was the reason for his life change. Paul's life was changed by the gospel, so as a result of that change, he began declaring it at every chance he could. When I think about shame, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated and angry, and I get upset with the idea that it binds us. And I think it does three things, really. It, it mocks us, it bullies us, and it paralyzes us. It mocks us, it bullies us, and it paralyzes us. The things we've done in our past, the gospels that we've believed, the confusions we've done, the betrayals that we've committed, they mock us in whispers in the dark. And I love that Paul was able to say, I am unashamed of the gospel. I don't think he's saying, this is the only thing I'm unashamed of. But what I think he's saying here is that the gospel has made me to be unashamed, and I am unashamed of it, because I can live now in a new righteousness, a new life. And my hope is that you would walk out of here today being able to walk in that same freedom, the same shameless persistence of Jesus Christ because of what he has done for you. Paul could have come to a lot of different understandings and a lot of different difficulties. I don't know what is in your history. I know what's in mine. And I know what whispers to me off of the collage of my first 40 years. And I know what could paralyze me. But I want to invite you today to consider that these things that have been whispering to you are whispers from the enemy of shame. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's choices of the past, words that people have spoken over you, difficulties that have been part of your life, but I think the same voice that is speaking to you could have potentially spoken to Jesus at the cross. Even though Jesus lived a perfect life, shame came to him. I believe shame came to him because in Hebrews 12 too, the Bible says that he, he despised shame. He went to the cross and he despised shame. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the, hand, at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a big deal. Two things that are mentioned in this verse by the author are the cross that he's headed towards and the despising of shame. John Piper, a pastor I read and listen to, wrote an excerpt about this point, and I just want to read it to you because it, it is so powerful. Um, it says this, Jesus was carried in the agonies of the last lap of his race by the hope of joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus kept his eyes on the, sh- on the same place we should, his own future exaltation at the Father's right hand. With the completion of our salvation crowning his head, this was his joy. 
There were mammoth obstacles in Jesus' way, but two are mentioned, the cross and the shame. The cross, no doubt, stands for all the pain and the abandonment and the spiritual darkness of those hours as he lunged, dying to the finish line. But shame is the one agony of the cross which the author mentions here. And he said that Jesus despised it. It's an amazing choice of words, isn't it? Would you have chosen such a word to say he overcame shame, that he despised it? Shame was stripping away every earthly support that Jesus had. His friends gave way in shaming abandonment. His reputation gave way in shaming mockery. His decency gave way in shaming nakedness. His comfort gave way in shaming torture. His glorious dignity gave way in the utterly undignified, degrading reflexes of grunting and groaning and screeching, and he despised it. What does this mean? It means Jesus spoke to shame like this. Hear this. Jesus spoke to shame like this. Listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power, but compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power. Not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me. I won't even look at you. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable. You are almost finished. You cover me now with a shroud before you can say, so there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag. I will put on my royal robe. You think you're great because even last night you made my disciples run away. You are a fool, shame. You are a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they are all my sacred suffering and will save my disciples, not destroy them. You are a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Farewell, shame. It is finished. Hallelujah. Shame died at the cross. Shame was defeated at the cross. The shame that whispers to you about your past has been destroyed by Jesus Christ. And there is goodness and mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we don't tap into often enough because we're confused by counterfeit versions and the enemy loves it, but here it is today. You get a chance to choose what to trust in. Not what, but who. The Jesus that died on the cross is the same Jesus that breaks the power of shame in our lives. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, you and I can have confidence and say these same words to any shame that whispers our name, farewell shame, it is finished. When you hear the words, when you see the pictures, when you think of the thoughts in your head, I want you to say, farewell shame, it is finished. Not because of what you've done, not because of your beautiful children that sit well in church, not because of your grass perfectly mowed, but because of Jesus Christ on the cross, paying the price for our sin and shame and breaking it over us. Amen. Amen. As I get close to finishing up here this morning, um, you know, I'm a, tr- I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I almost don't want to say this, um, but I have like this, this, I would say a fault maybe, or this fascination with fitness trends. And, um, and over the course of my life, people who've worked with me kind of laugh and we joke together about the idea, like I've gone from a standing desk to like, you know, sitting and pedaling on stuff underneath the desk and like standing meetings and like walking and talking and like this is good. At one point I had like a, a gallon jug of water that I would carry around with me everywhere I went and like it's just, you know, those are all good things, right? It's good stuff, like stay mobile, stay mobile. Um, and lately I've been digging into this whole idea of uh, just different types of nutrients into my body, right? Like the trendy term is a keto, ketogenic 
eating lifestyle, right? If you're in California, it's probably like, oh, I, I participate in the ketogenic lifestyle. Um, how about you? Oh, I'm a vegan, you know, whatever. Um, and no, no harm to any of those. Great, do it, go for it. Um, but one of the things I've been looking at is the idea of nutrient density, right? Nutrient density. And I, I don't know why over my first 40 years I didn't figure this out. Maybe something magic happened when I became a senior citizen. I don't know. But, <laughs> but there's this idea of nutrient density that really does make a difference, right? I can choose 100 calories of sugar, or I can choose 100 calories of spinach. Blech. I can choose 100 calories of goldfish, you know, from whatever. Where are they from? Where, you know, I don't want to say. Maybe we'll get in trouble. I don't know. But gold, not real goldfish. I'm not eating real goldfish. That'd be weird. From the fair. Like, ah! Um, Jeremiah. Um, or I can choose like 100 calories of something nutritious, right? Nutrient density. The gospel, the whole reason I'm saying this is because the gospel has enough nutrient density for you to feed off of it for your entire eternity, right? Yeah. I, I, some of you are like, yeah, that's awesome. And some of you are like, wait, are you about to tell me to stop eating junk food? Because that's not cool. Right? I'm not. You can eat whatever you want. Um, but what I am saying is that when something gets in the way, when we start to try to change our lives with anything other than the fundamentals of what Jesus has done and who God is, then we start eating junk food spiritually. And as we leave here today, I'm going to give you three B's of gospel change. Gospel change really comes, I believe, as a result of three things, beholding, believing, and then finally, belonging. I'm sorry, behaving. You belong all throughout. Behaving only comes from believing. Believing comes from beholding, right? People don't have faith unless they hear the gospel preached. So we behold God's beauty and his goodness as we hear and then we believe who he is. In Colin's story today, you heard him say, I was attending. I, I was part of learning to follow Jesus with Pastor Randy. And then there was this, I don't know if you caught it, but I, I, I actually, it's beautiful. It's been about two years since I raised my hand on that Mother's Day. There's this belief that changed things for him. Before that, he was beholding and learning about the goodness of God but there's this moment, there's this belief that changed from the inside out. Martin Luther wrote in his um, Tower Experience paper that he was angry at God. He was already a monk when he wrote this page. And he, he said, I was a monk, I was trying to live the right life, trying to do the good thing, and I was hating God that he would hold us accountable to our sin. But then these words jumped off the page at me, the, the righteous shall live by faith. And in that moment, Martin Luther the monk realized that it wasn't about his goodness, it was about God's goodness. It's about realizing that our righteousness is not based on our actions, it's based on Christ's actions on our behalf. So today, as we um, take the stage again to respond in worship, my hope is that you would respond in the same way so many have over the years of hearing and seeing the goodness of the gospel and say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I trust you. And I'm turning away from the false gospels of my life and I'm turning to you, Jesus, so that you can save me from myself. It's because our sins hold us back. The darkness of our shame, the whispers of the, the pain of the past, the mistakes we've made, 
holds us back for this morning, I want to encourage you to press into who Jesus is. So if you would stand, I'm just going to ask you to stand and pray with me before we go into the song. And we're going to worship in response to the word this morning. But as the song gets played, I want you to have an opportunity not to make a declaration to me or to the worship team or to Pastor Randy or anyone in the room, but to make a declaration to God to say, God, I don't trust in the ways of this world. I don't trust in the confused gospels of my past. I don't trust in the righteousness that I've built for myself. But Jesus, I want to say shame is finished with you. And the way you can do that is by saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. I trust you, God. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed it up. But I also know you're a good, good father. And I can trust you. So if you would, close your eyes and bow your head. I'm just going to ask you if that's you this morning and maybe something I've said, something this crazy guy up on the stage who've made a million mistakes in my own life, something I've said the Holy Spirit's used to jumpstart your heart and you're saying, today's the day I want to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you, with eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, today's the day I want to believe in Jesus. I want to turn away from the gospels of my past and trust in him. I see those hands. I see those hands in the back. I see you back there. I see you. I see you. I see you, hallelujah. And more importantly than me seeing you, God sees you and he loves you and he's busted down the doors, busted down the spaces of your life to find you this morning. Father, I thank you for these ones who have declared their belief and their trust in you. And I pray, God, that as they move towards you this morning, that you, God, would care in the ways that only you can, that you would restore the broken years, that you would reinforce what you have called to be new, that you would, God, take away the things that have caused shame and pain, silence the whispers of the enemy in their minds and hearts, God. We praise you and thank you for the work of your truth, the work of your gospel today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we praise you. Amen, amen. Join us in worship as we respond to God because of his goodness today.